mean, you've been putting in work for so long. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 10 of Putting In Work. I'm John Peck, and yes, we've made it to double digits. Thanks to everyone that's been along for the ride so far. I'm really loving doing this. It's always a highlight of my week talking to these awesome people. And for the people that have helped support and promote the podcast, whether it's just by giving me feedback or plugging it on social media, thank you so much. I really don't know if I would have the same level of enthusiasm as I have without you guys. Not only is this my 10th episode, it's actually the 100th episode of any podcast that I've been part of over the years, going back to the old Super Terrific Happy Hour, which you can still find online, and uh, the many other podcasts that I've been really pleased to be a part of. But today, for episode 10, and I think this is something I'll do every 10 episodes, it may be even more frequently depending on the response, I want to do something a little different. Usually this podcast focuses on talking to creative people who have you know, worked up a skill or a project that they've got, and we talk about the work they've put in to get where they are and their advice in those different fields or industries. But for episode 10, I wanted to talk about something a bit more general, a bit more applicable to life. And, you know, sometimes I'll be looking at people who do different jobs. Maybe they're a cop or maybe they're a farmer or just some kind of life experience that I really think is worth sharing with people. I got the idea for this specific topic today from one of my friends, Jack Cruz. You can see him on YouTube, Cruzy Mate, K-R-U-S-E-Y. He interviewed one of his co-workers about their battle with cancer and I found it really inspiring and it gave me an idea to talk to my mum. So mum had breast cancer ages ago. We'll get into that later but she's always been really inspiring to me as someone that's been through this experience and come out stronger than before and there's a lot of details that happened during the whole treatment process that I don't know a lot about. I mean I know about them but I was at uni at the time and kind of distracted and not engaged in the whole process being that we were living in different areas so uh, it was actually really good for me to sit down and kind of hear from mum maybe have a conversation that we should have had a long time ago but uh, I think that you'll get a lot out of what she has to say and she didn't want to do this podcast I had to kind of twist her arm and say that it was going to be fine don't worry about it she did really well so thanks for listening enjoy the show Hi, Mum. Hello, Johnny. Thanks for doing this. I know you didn't really want to, but it kind of made me, so... That's okay. It's a pleasure. <laughs> this, this is the first time I've done an episode that isn't angled in a creative way because I feel like there's a lot of stories that I want to tell that aren't that kind of thing. It seems like there's no one better to start with than you because you've got some really interesting experiences to share, I think. Is that fair or is that... We'll see, won't we? Okay. (laughs) 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I was at uni in Geelong. You were back at home in Warrnambool. And I remember getting a phone call on res saying that, we'll test my memory here, but I think it was that you were having some tests done. Yeah, that's right. You had just gone to uni that year and I remember thinking uh, that was going to be a hard year because I'd miss you leaving home but didn't know what was to come obviously and I organised just because I felt 
had a, uh, an inkling or a feeling that I wanted to have a mammogram, which I did have in end of March and uh, didn't ever think another thing of it after I left that place having had that. And uh, I got a letter to say a couple of weeks later to say I need to have some follow-up tests, which sort of did spin me out a bit. But my doctor said, oh, look, you know, it's just standard procedure. And so at that point we did let you know that we were coming to Geelong for tests because you were living here, so we'd obviously see mm. you. So we went and had some, I had some tests and came back to Warrnambool. I had the t- those tests in Geelong. And then two days later uh, they told um, Ian, my husband and I, that I had breast cancer. So that was a big shock because there was no history, there was mm. no uh, reason to have their mammogram except I thought I should have a mammogram. Because how old were you? I just turned 47 when I found out I was 46 when I had the mammogram. Yeah. Okay. So you, you mentioned it a little there, but what was that moment like where you found out that you had cancer, the big C word? Mm, it is the big C word. Uh, obviously, it was devastating. I didn't envisage that that would be something that would be happening in my life, certainly when I was 47 and... Leading up to that time, I hadn't ever contemplated that. It really rocked me and and all of us, I suppose. But at that time, well, even from having the test on the Monday, it was pretty clear to, to Dad that there was something significant because they did some additional tests and I came away upset about that but thinking no it wouldn't couldn't possibly be a diagnosis of breast cancer that only happens to sort of other people but actually that was me now and I Mm. just couldn't imagine my life dealing with that but of course you do and we were very fortunate because we sort of went into action mode right there and then and within an hour of that diagnosis I was already um, on a I guess a a road, a pathway that led us to Geelong to see a surgeon the next day and two days later that cancer was cut out. And to me, all I wanted was it's just got to get out of my body. I mm. just kept thinking I just have to get it out. And so for us, that's what our priority was. And I know that at the time I I said to Ian, I don't want you to ring my family, I don't want you telling people. And he pretty much said, well, we have to. And for me, it was about, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. I don't want anyone to think they have to do anything different. I just wanted everything to be normal, but it was never going to be normal. Um, Was that like a kind of a denial part of the grief? I think that was me being um, the protector. I wanted to protect people. And I even remember saying to, I had one son in Warrnambool and you were in Geelong, yeah. don't come down for the weekend. Jono was coming home anyway, do what's normal, and shutting people in a way that could have been perceived as shutting people down or away because it was like, oh, I can't, I couldn't deal with anything because I just mm. thought, how am I going to process this? As it turned out, um, family did come and did support us and you just, even though it's devastating news, you just know that you've got to deal with it day by day, I suppose. Yeah. So did everything else just pause at that point? Because you had a pretty high level Mm. job. You 
different responsibilities. I can't remember if you're still on the school book council or whatever yes, it was. Yeah. So does everything just mm. take a step back and that's your focus? It does. I were, I left work uh, at one o'clock that day and was going back to the office. That's what I thought. We went to the doctors and I obviously didn't get back into the office for some weeks. So yes, in one sense, there is a big pause. Uh, I also did leave school council after that because I tried to straight away cut down on everything that I was doing mm. because, you know, you've got to deal with that diagnosis. But there's more trauma to come because after the surgery they do the testing and that was only a few days later we found out that it had spread to my lymph nodes. So that's already now a different diagnosis because they call that stage three. And you have to deal with the notion of having chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and also we had to work through would we have more surgery to remove more lymph nodes, which was another challenge to think about. So that was probably more devastating getting that news than the first diagnosis because all I could think about was I won't have any hair and I can't go down the street with no hair and all the things that you think about, which is so ridiculous because, of course, I went down the street without any hair later on and I went to work with no hair and all those other places. But to me at the time it was just I can't, I can't, be, I can't be normal so I can't be seen and some of the really ridiculous things you think about. But Perfectly normal things to think about though, aren't they? Now it seems ridiculous. <laughs> at the time it was my new normal, yeah. yes, definitely, definitely. Through the process of surgery, chemo, radiation, what was actually the most difficult part to endure? Sometimes I think the most difficult thing to deal with was, A, you want to feel normal, B, you want people to treat you like they that you are normal, but the reality is very different to that and you have moments when you think, will you be able to get through it because, first of all, the the chemotherapy is debilitating and in some ways I was very, very, very fortunate because I responded fairly well to chemo and didn't have many as many side effects as perhaps some people have suffered. But it certainly does take everything out of you in terms of your even just your energy and your physical, emotional energy. But I think the biggest thing to overcome is the fear that this incredible fear that am I going to die and there was a moment when we were talking about how we would manage and what we would do at home this was with my husband Ian and I and he offered to give up work because he wanted to care for me I suppose and I remember being very very upset and really sobbing because I thought he thinks I'm going to die why would he give up work if if I wasn't going to die. And so I thought, you can't give up work. You have to keep doing what you do because that means we've given in. Because at that stage you think, where else is it and all those other things. So it's the fear of not the unknown and where else is it, if it's anywhere else. And that's the that's always the hardest thing. And it eats away at you for years sometimes. 
uh, and you always have to deal with it and it's a challenge every time you have tests and checkups even years down the track you have to it's a mind battle mm. and you have to really put your mind into a space where that doesn't take over sure a question that i ask a lot of people on the show that still applies here is what was the hardest part of this so was it actually having to get up in the morning and think that you have to go through all these things day by day, mm-hmm. all this this treatment, or was it something more emotional? Like you've said, you've mentioned mm-hmm. fear, but mm-hmm. I imagine mm-hmm. that it was also mm-hmm. this side of you that was like, um, everyone's feeling sorry for mm-hmm. me. I have to tell all these people that I'm sick. It's going to mm-hmm. worry them. Mm-hmm. My mum's worried. Mm-hmm. My kids are worried or whatever it is. I think the hardest things are telling your kids firstly, but also for them, I can remember telling you to don't look on the internet and Google <laughs> when you found out I had to have chemotherapy and you had a friend at uni whose mum was going through something similar and I, because I didn't want my kids to be thinking the things I was thinking. So you got on Google? Like, oh, always. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you didn't... Is that a good idea? No, it never is. They always say that never Google no, your symptoms. Google people... doctor is out <laughs> because the thing is... It's always, there's so many variations and no body's journey is the same. That's the other thing is you have to make it your journey and it doesn't have to look like anybody else's. It's only yours. And so nobody's going to tell you how to think or how to feel. And, and, but I have to say that telling people that are close to you, even ringing work, I can remember, um, thinking, I can't just to walk into work and face people then knowing I've got breast cancer. And in the past, I'd see and know people who've had cancer and and really have great empathy and feel for them. And in some ways, I thought I even felt sorry for them. And I thought they're all going to feel like I used to feel. Mm. And it's really been good for me because it's changed my perspective on how I support or think of other people. Um, and there's still an incredible depth of empathy there and also a lot of emotion when I find out other people who I know or even people who are random strangers that have cancer. It really touches me, but feeling sorry for them is not something that I feel anymore because yeah. I know that's not a good feeling to have. What do you feel for them then? It's not like sorrow or I feel, empathy, um, sympathy. I feel a lot of empathy. Yeah. I don't feel sympathy sure. in that sense, but I think maybe before I did, and that's quite different. Empathy is very different, and having walked in those shoes, you do feel different. But I also recognise that everybody's walk with cancer is so different and you can't yeah. make comparisons. And, and we like to think sometimes that we can be helpful with different people's lives and circumstances, but we can't always know and there's that's the thing of I think it's changed me in lots of ways I've hoped that I'm a better person and less judgmental and more open to embracing things in life certainly I've put in even after that put in lots of different boundaries even with my work and life balance that you don't work on your day off that's your day to mm. be at home and to enjoy family and family's always been incredibly important to me but it's even more precious and the value of how we use our time is very intentional yeah as a result of that i find it interesting hearing people who've been through cancer talk about it because everyone seems to have a different approach Mm. and like i've read articles by people that will say you know here's five things you never tell someone with cancer but knowing the way that you went through it like you would have a different 
five things as well. So I, was, I usually ask people, what's your mm. advice? But I don't know if it would necessarily apply to everyone. Mm. But have you got any kind of general things you can say for people that either down the track they might face mm. something like this or they know someone? Yes. When we were driving home from Geelong back to Wanda after my surgery, my uh, husband Ian said, when we get home... If anybody offers to help us, we have to accept their help because he probably knows that I'm a fairly independent person. And that was amazing advice and that would be my advice to other people is if someone offers to help you, accept their offer of help because it made an amazing difference, not just to me but to our whole family because in those first few weeks and months, people would drop by and say, I'll take your ironing home. and I would have always said, no, that's okay, someone else will do it. But I let them take it home. I didn't cook for three months and neither did anybody in our family because people turned up with food and we had people come and garden our, weed our garden bed but not even come into the house. But someone would came to the door and said, oh, there's someone weeding for you. And it was mm. people that just, I guess, accepted that I was in that space where I was accepting help and we had a beautiful friend who travelled from interstate and bought eskies full of meals and so accepting help and allowing a team of people who you trust who are really important to you to be part of your extended family I suppose uh, to really be there and and to allow them to be a blessing to you because my initial instinct on that first moment was to shut people out to protect myself and to protect them but I realized very very quickly and I'm very fortunate because my husband is very wise because when I did want to shut people out, he said they actually need to be needed and to help you, so mm. you have to allow that. So that to me was really important and set a pattern early on. And given that we lived in Warrnambool, when Geelong is only two hours away, but I spent all my time travelling back to Geelong for chemotherapy, then we had eight weeks in Geelong for radiotherapy, so it was a long time of being away from your home. And so having people be a part of that to travel to appointments with you, they felt really blessed, I think, to be a part of that and to think that I would you know, have them come with me and visit appointments. And it's the follow-up appointments after that. And mm. there's so many appointments. And very early on, the, other, the only other thing I would say is if you can, it's so good to have one other person come to those appointments because there were things I would never remember the other person would always remember things and talk things through and give a different perspective because chemo does affect your brain. You get very foggy and you don't always yeah. take things in. So having the other person, that's a really, really big help. So that would be my big top two, I think. That's good. That's good advice. You mentioned just before about how you think you've got maybe less judgmental or whatever. Did going through this experience change you in other ways that you can put your finger on it's hard to put into words but I feel I feel different I feel my perspective on things generally in life even things to do I, I retired at 55 and that was a very deliberate thing that I made that decision and convinced myself it was the right thing to do to retire at 55 thinking that was such a long time away when mm. I got to 55 I thought oh I'm too young to retire but it's certainly 
changed my thinking because it's like you don't wait till you get sick or old or you know you life is to embrace and you need to embrace life you need to embrace what God has put before you and um, it's made me a much more I don't know if chilled's the right word because that doesn't sound cool for me but um, I feel like I'm a lot less stressed about life I feel like uh, I'm a lot less um, I'm more relaxed and more able to embrace small and big things and it's been positive because there's people in my family and extended family and other people who've noticed that that I probably am different to the way I used to be and yeah. and obviously invest where you invest your time has made me a different person too to be very intentional about that and I think that all round gives you a much better balance in life so yes I feel like um Nothing is wasted. And one thing when I did get cancer, I one thing I didn't do is I never said why me, because I think well why not? Because you're just why would anybody get it? And so I never cried out to God and thought well why was that me? I just thank God for for healing me and for taking me through what I've been through and getting me out the other side intact and being able to stay positive. And um, I think that that's that was certainly had to be a reliance on God and came from that. Mm. But, yeah, that's what's brought us through. And I've heard you say before you had, you've had this mindset uh, and you, you'll you have to explain where it fits in the timeline, but you had cancer, then you didn't mm. anymore. Mm. And it hasn't been on your mind no. permanently since then, even though maybe mm. there's always a little bit of, yes. um, you know, concern at the back mm. of your mind when you have to go for yeah. these annual or semi-annual mm. tests. So what was that concept and how can you explain that? Well, I think uh, for me that when they cut out the cancer, they believed they got that cancer out. Then, of course, they found some very small um, uh, samples in lymph nodes and, of course, the the chemotherapy, I believe, attacked that and, and killed that. So I had this, I guess, attitude and, and faith to believe that I was cancer-free from that time. Mm. And when I would, um, I can remember one day at work someone said to me, oh, are you in remission? I said, oh, no, I'm not in remission. I don't have cancer anymore. And when I saw my oncologist, she said, "Well, actually, no. You are in remission. You're in remission for five years." And I, I didn't like to, I, I didn't like to see myself as a person in remission because, in a way, it felt like, well, I'm still. That means that people still think, you know, you've got cancer back, yeah. or it's going to come back. But I felt like it's been taken out, and, you know, so for me, it was very much a, a, a whether it's a healing or what it is. But it was the only way I could process and deal with it in my mind was to believe that there it is no more mm. and I wasn't in remission it was gone and that some people might have called that foolish but for me that's how I mentally could cope because your mind has to be managed because it can play such terrible you know games with you yeah how we function and how we see ourselves and all of those things even for planning for the future it can affect things so for me it was very much no the cancer is no more. And the thing about my cancer is it was smaller than a rice seed. It had already spread. It was very, very hard to detect. And uh, the surgeon 
had diff- could only find it under ultrasound even with sur- with the surgery so i feel incredibly uh, i suppose blessed is the only word i can think of that i actually had the foresight to ask for that mammogram hmm. because it wasn't going to be found um naturally because it was such a small lump but it had already spread so to me it wasn't it was more that i feel so thankful and positive that that occurred because it saved my life so i feel very very positive about that i suppose so for me moving forward the only way i could think about it was it's out of my body it's gone it is no more yeah victory that's it and i really can i want to say i can relate to that it's probably the wrong word because it's not me going through it but the whole time that you were sick i never felt like it was going to be anything more than just a road block mm. and sometimes i've struggled with thinking back at that and thinking that i was just so naive and i should have visited you in hospital more and i should have been more worried but i just wasn't and mm. Yeah, I don't know if it was because you, I wasn't with you in Warrnambool seeing you sick. I wasn't going mm. through every step of the way that Dad was and probably my brother Dan was. Uh, so, I don't know, it, maybe it was a bit of column A and a bit of column B. Is that what you sensed at the time? I think that was probably us wanting you to feel that way too and us trying to... As a, as a family that is the way we are we're always we're a positive family anyway but I can remember you visiting me at the hospital and being so thankful as I met a lady whose son couldn't visit her he was a similar age and she said he can't visit me in the hospital he just can't walk in the door to see me and I remember it probably wasn't ever comfortable for you to visit but you'd walk around the room and so would dad and then I'd say <laughs> why don't you go and have a drink or why don't you go and have lunch but um but the thing is you did visit and that meant a lot to me probably more than you realise and uh, I know that yeah. that's not easy for young people to do that and to, to see your mum go through some of those things because the hospital stays with the chemotherapy. I mean, I can remember some days they took five very hard jabs into veins to get a line to put the chemo line in and they just couldn't get it and it's very yeah. traumatic. But the thing is... At the time, you protect everyone because even my husband would sometimes have to leave the room and I wanted him to be there, but I didn't want him to know that I wanted him to be there because I want to protect him as well because you want to protect everybody. That's the way we're wired. So I think if you felt like that at the time, that that was a good thing. And also I think that you had a piece about that and I think I got strength from my kids' faith as well because and and obviously Ian's and other people's because we're pretty fortunate in that people see things the same way Hmm. Hmm. I like to think that if it happened again I would spend a lot more time with you because I've got my iPhone and my Vita (laughs) so I could just kind of you could have chilled doing that okay well, that's okay. Hopefully, I'm, we never have to no, go through it again. Yes, but. well, that's, that's and just for, to that's update true. the people listening, it's been how many? It's been eleven years. Eleven and years next in a couple of weeks. Update. The latest update is I just have checkups once a year in Geelong, and sometimes I get a bit antsy leading up to that, but um, I'm well and strong. And one of the things I always tell people there's an advantage to getting cancer is that for five, six years. 
your body's battered with medications um, because I had them for five years after the chemo finished and my body pretty much, I even went to Melbourne to see if I needed knee replacements, but my body gets stronger and stronger and it feels better now than it did when I was 50 and 51 and 2 and 3. So the thing is it your body takes a huge beating, but then once the medications leave your body, you can get strong again and do things and hike and ride bikes and do things that you thought you might never get to do. So that's the upside is I feel really strong and that's a fantastic feeling. So I ask everyone this and it's going to be a bit harder to answer because we haven't been talking along these lines, but if you could do anything and know you wouldn't fail, what would you do, Mum? Well, (laughs) you'll probably laugh because I've always wanted since I became a Christian, I've always wanted to be able to play the piano beautifully like Dr. Chris Walters, friend of ours, <laughs> and be able to sing in tune. And I can't do either of those mm, things. Yeah. See, I don't know if we can help you with that. <laughs> so, my, are you going to have, are you going to take piano lessons? No. Why not? There's nothing I can do about it because <laughs> I don't can, think that. You can do that though. You can learn piano. No, but I don't think I have any natural music ability. But, so you're not willing to do... So I don't think I'm... I'm you're not, not willing to put in the work, Mum. I'm not willing <laughs> to put in the work, but if you gave me a magic wand... Okay. That's yeah. what I would do, but it's not... Sure. It's not. You didn't say it had to be realistic. Yeah, that's, that's fair. You got me there. <laughs> if you have to be realistic, it would have to be something else. Okay. Thanks for sitting down. It wasn't that painful, was it? It wasn't painful. Right. Thank you, Johnny. That's you're good. doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. That was my mum. Can't catch her on social media, but you can follow me on Twitter at Johnny himself. And if you want to support my mum, you can do that by supporting me because she loves me. Leave me a five-star rating in iTunes. Tell a friend about the show. And until next week, keep putting in work. <laughs>